Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank podcast. We love God, love people, and love our city. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. Well, good morning, Every Nation Rosebank, and what an absolute privilege it is for me to be able to share the word with you once again. I don't know what it is, maybe 150, 160, 170 days into lockdown, I guess we start losing count. And, um, and that's true for many of us where lockdown has been an inconvenience. But I know for many of you, uh, for many of us, it's been more than just an inconvenience. It's been a real tragedy, either through a direct loss of life of a loved one that's close to us, or somebody that we've known, or it's been something that's been indirectly caused by COVID-19, either um, an economic pressure, the loss of a job, um, the drying up of or, or, or of some form of revenue, maybe the business not doing as well as it should. And we know that for you, it's been a lot more than just a theoretical inconvenience. It's been real. And we want you to know that as a church, we're standing with you and we're praying for you. And, and that's why the title of my sermon this morning is Hope in the Midst of Economic Crisis. Uh, and if you wanted a subtitle for that, maybe it would be A Theology of Work. And you might say, well, a theology of work? How does that tie into hope in the midst of economic crisis? I trust that this morning God is going to take us deeper into his word and show us things that possibly for many of us uh, we have not seen before. And so if you're one of those that have really felt the impact of COVID-19 in a real and in a tangible way, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We want you to know that as a church, as a family, we're standing with you. And we want you to know that we identify and we empathize with all of those things that go along with that, a sense of, of loss of purpose or meaninglessness. And we want you to know that the enemy is wanting to steal from you now, but we want to stand with you and trust God that he's going to come through for you in a way that you've never, ever dreamt of and seen before. And so during this time, many of us might be saying, well, God, where are you in the midst of this economic crisis? And God, what is the purpose of me needing to go through this pain and, you know, in the midst of this crisis? And, and I know a lot of us have been kind of saying, God, right, anytime now, Lord, anytime now, Lord Jesus, you know, you can come through anytime. And friends, in the midst of this, we gather around one another and we try to be helpful. And I know that a lot of well-meaning friends will come up with some very unhelpful comments, <laughs> comments to comfort us like, don't worry, it's not what you do that's important, it's who you are. And have you ever wondered why a comment or a statement like, it's not what you do, it's who you are, doesn't feel particularly helpful? You know, friends, I looked throughout the Word of God to see if I could find any examples in God's Word where it didn't matter what people did, all that mattered was who they were, and to be honest, I couldn't find one. And I reasoned I guess the reason why it doesn't feel very helpful is because at its essence, at its core, it's just not true. Who we are and what we do are actually inextricably linked. And that's why it's one of the most common conversation starters. I mean, once you get past the hi, how are you, how are you, love the dress, you know, once you get past all of that stuff, it's kind of like, so tell me, what is it that you do? What is it that keeps you busy? And so I thought that for this morning, I wanted to go a little deeper and find out what the Bible actually says about who we are and what we do. And the first thing we see from God's word, friends, is that we were designed. God designed us to reign. Have you noticed that there's this universal childhood dream? 
And uh, I certainly had it as a boy growing up. I still have it as a man. And this universal childhood dream, doesn't matter which culture you're from, doesn't matter what economic background you're from, doesn't really matter how old you are, the dream goes along something like this. There's a young boy, a young girl, a young man, a lady, and they're from a very normal, from a very you know, normal village, normal home, a normal community. But unlike many others in that community, there's a sense of greatness in their heart. And one day the kingdom that they live in is hit by this crisis. And nobody is able to intervene. Nobody is able to supply the solution. And so all is seemingly lost. But what this crisis does is it wakes inside of us, inside of the hero of our story, it awakes that greatness. And the hero does something brave, does something heroic, and saves the day. And the king who rules this kingdom is so grateful that they call the hero, they call you, they call me, they call us before them, and they, they make us their heirs. We become princes and princesses in this kingdom. For me, it was slaying an evil dragon or defeating a wicked prince. And my reward was a crown. My reward was a palace. My reward was a princess. I couldn't quite figure out how the princess kind of filtered into the story at the age of five, but somehow it felt, and it felt incomplete without the princess being there. And friends, I don't know about you, but as I got older, the way the narrative changed is the, the missions became greater. They became more meaningful. And of course, the princess started playing a more and more meaningful role in the outcome of that story. And so why is it that we have these dreams of becoming royalty? Why is it that these dreams that all of us have as children and stay with us throughout our lives are that we become heirs to this king? Friends, I believe it's there because it's factored and built into our DNA. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28, the Word of God says this. In fact, it's a passage of Scripture that many biblical scholars refer to as the cultural mandate. Because it's the mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve. In fact, gave to all mankind. And this is what Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28 says. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, friends, we were created to reign. It's the reason we exist. It's why God created us in his image. It's who we are. It's built into our DNA. So let's go a little deeper right now. Did you notice that in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, you know how God introduces himself to all of mankind, into humanity? God shows up and the first thing he does is he gets to work. God starts creating. He goes through six days of creation where he's putting together this amazing planet. And on the sixth day, he creates the pinnacle of his creation. Friends, God Loves work. And he's really, really good at it. Now, when we step back and we look at every other creation event, not from a biblical perspective, because there's many creation events out there um, in rejection to the creation event of Genesis. All of them go along the following lines. 
The gods, little g, are sick and tired of all this mundane work. And so they create mankind so that mankind can be their slaves, that mankind can serve them, so that the gods no longer have to be you know, concerned with the earth and the mundane tasks that the earth requires of it. But our God, the God on the other hand, loves work. He uses it to create this beautiful environment that he then puts the pinnacle of his creation in. And he creates man and woman in his image. Why? Not as slaves, but as partners. And the mandate that he gives to us, the mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve was this, rule with me, work with me. I want you to be part of my plan and my process to create something beautiful. And so friends, in God's kingdom, not only we are created and designed to reign, but reigning is spelt W-O-R-K. Reigning is spelt work. So have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it? Why work? Why this theology of work? And by the way, the Bible again is probably the only religion on the planet that has a theology of work around it. It's the only one that celebrates work. It's the only one that kind of says that work is good and was ordained and was blessed by God. Let's go back to the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. Why work? Because in verse 28, it says that God blessed them. God blessed Adam and Eve to do what? To be fruitful, to increase in number, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Friends, Eden was the place that God walked with Adam and Eve. Eden was the place where God filled it with his presence. God's plan was that through Adam and Eve, that presence would be taken from Eden and extended to the uttermost ends of the world. God's plan was that I have done this one thing. I've created my presence in this garden. Now I've created you to partner with me to take my presence to the ends of the world. God blessed them. He blessed their work. And he instructed them to subdue, to fill the earth and to subdue it. That word subdue is the word kabash in Hebrew. And it literally means to bring order out of chaos, to bring harmony from discord. And so through this working partnership with Adam and Eve, they would reign, they would rule, they would work, and they would fill the earth with God's presence. Now we know that this didn't last very long. We know that Satan had other plans. Satan did not want to see God's presence filling the earth. In fact, he was unhappy with God's presence filling the Eden, the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve. And so he brought about the fall. But friends, Romans 5 verse 17 tells us that what was lost by the first Adam, Jesus has reinstored. And Paul calls him not the second Adam, but the last Adam. Romans 5 verse 17 says, For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness do what? Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see, friends, what Satan destroyed in the fall, God reinstated through his son, Jesus Christ. And friends, what we need to understand is that Christ's work at Calvary was much more than just a rescue mission. It wasn't just there to save you and I from the, the flames of hell, to kind of rescue us. 
it was to reinstate that cultural mandate that Adam and Eve lost right back in the first few chapters of Genesis. So why work? Well, two reasons then, friends. One, because it is who He is. It's who God is. And because we are created in His image, it's who we are. I love the way John Marcoma, in his book, Garden City, puts it. He says this. He says, we don't work to live. We live to work. We don't work in order to live. God placed us on this earth so that we can live in order to work. And the second reason, friends, why work is important is because God's original mandate was that through partnering with Him, through reigning with Him, through working with Him, we would take His presence from Eden, now from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and fill the entire earth with it. And so those are the two reasons why God instituted work as the way in which it would be done. One, because it's who He is and it's there for who we are. But secondly, because it was the method and the means through which His presence would fill the earth. Okay, so what kind of work are we talking about here? Once again, let's go back to the cultural mandate and see if we can find from Genesis 1 verse 27 and 28 what kind of work God's talking about. God tells us in verse 28 that he wants us to fill and subdue. Fill speaks to populate. It speaks to extend and populate not just with numbers, but populate with a civilization that carries his kingdom culture, that carries his mandate, that carries within them that same mandate and that same blueprint to extend his presence through work. And to subdue means to bring harmony out of discord. Subdue means to harness the raw, uncut potential that God has placed in the world and make something awesome from it. So what kind of work, let me ask you, does that? Well, firstly, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, God shows us what kind of work does that. Each time he created himself, these words are recorded. And God saw that it was good. Every single day, it records the words, God saw that it was good. Friends, God's work brought him delight. It brought order out of chaos. It brought harmony out of discord. It brought the Father delight. And then on the final, on the sixth day before he rested, he makes man. And it doesn't say that he saw that it was good. He now looks back and he says, it is very good. And so when God created man and woman and he mandated them to establish civilization across the earth, it not only brought him delight, it brought him great delight. Friends, partnering with Adam and Eve to extend the garden to the ends of the world was to take those raw materials, to take those resources, to take that wild, untamed planet and to create something of beauty out of it, to create order, to create purpose, to create something that would bring him and all of us great delight. 
That's the kind of work that God is looking for us to do. The work that brings beauty, order, and purpose and brings great delight. So let's use an illustration, shall we? Right now, I'm sitting in an auditorium, our auditorium in Rosebank. It's a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I'm sure you'd agree I'm doing some super holy work. I'm recording a sermon that I trust is going to challenge you and inspire you all. But guess what, guys? This sermon doesn't just come to you because I show up in an auditorium. In preparing for the sermon, I typed it out on this Apple MacBook. In preparing for the sermon, I googled a number of scriptures and the Hebrew meanings of those scriptures. Right now, I've got Asher, Grace, and Mpo with me in the auditorium. And they are shooting this on a Canon camera. And so we see, without having to scratch the surface too deeply, that in order for this sermon to have the impact that it needs to have, in order for it to be delivered, to be able to, you be able to see it in your home or on whatever device you're looking at, has required hundreds of thousands of people to be part of a process. Somebody who dug the iron ore out of the ground to create the stand upon which the Apple MacBook is standing. Somebody who, you know, filled the, the, the water tank outside that allowed me to fill up this glass so that I could keep my throat moist on that note. Let me do that right now. Friends, when we look at what it took to bring the sermon to you in your home on this Sunday morning or whenever it is during the week that you're watching it, we realize that there were hundreds and probably thousands of people involved. People who partnered with God in his cultural mandate to bring order out of chaos, to bring harmony out of discord. Some people that took the wild, untamed iron ore in the ground, dug it up, sent it through a number of processes. Somebody who then took that iron ore, molded it, shaped it, and sprayed it, and created the stand upon which the MacBook is now resting. Friend, there were hundreds and thousands of people involved in God's cultural mandate purpose in order to deliver what you are seeing in your home or on your device right now. Which part of this matters to God? It all matters to God. Friends, all work is good. All work is spiritual. All work is holy. When that work extends the cultural kingdom mandate, taking his presence to the ends of the world. So let's get personal now, shall we? You're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm a cook. I'm a barrister. I'm a chartered accountant. I'm a dentist. I'm a janitor. Maybe you're a full-time mom. And my gosh, I mean, how long must the world still kind of like, you know, how many times must people, you know, do we have to kind of say, well, that's probably one of the greatest callings on the planet. But you, whatever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you may be sitting to yourself right now asking, but how is that holy? How does that extend and fulfill the cultural mandate of the kingdom? And Paul addresses this very issue in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. 
He says this. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink, does not matter what you do. Everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. Have you ever wondered how a tree brings glory to God? A tree brings glory to God by growing, by dropping its leaves in autumn, by bearing fruit in summer. You know, friends, a tree brings glory to God by simply being a tree. How does a star bring glory to God? A star brings glory to God by simply being a star, by twinkling. Or I guess more accurately for the scientists among us, a star brings glory to God by millions of violent nuclear explosions every single second, which appear to us who observe it from the earth as a twinkling star. All those hundreds of thousands of millions of light years away. Friends, what is it that you do? What is it that I do that reflects his glory? And friends, the answer lies in it's both what we do and how we do it. How we do it, firstly, well, how we do it brings glory to God because when it reflects the way God works, it reflects his glory. God works hard. We reflect his glory when we work hard. God is joyful. And we reflect his glory when what we do, we do with a joyful heart and we do with a willing heart. God is honest. And therefore what we do, the way we work, reflects his glory when we act with integrity. Even when that integrity costs us. God is excellent. And therefore when we work, we reflect his glory when our work always reflects the very best that we can deliver. And so we reflect his glory, friends, when we reflect God in what we do. When we reflect his character and his image in what we do. Can we get even a little more personal now? COVID-19 has created many personal crises. And maybe you're one of those who lost their job or have been impacted financially in one way or another. And my friend, as I was preparing this, I had a sense that this was God's word for you. God is saying to you, I have not fired you. You and I are in a partnership. Your primary job description has not changed and it never will. And even though right now the specific expression of that mandate, of that job description might be changing or might have changed. Know this, it may continue to change. It may constantly change. But the foundation of the job description and my cultural mandate in your life never, ever will. It was Barack Obama's chief of staff that once famously said these words, let's not waste a good crisis. And um, even though I don't know him, I think he understood something about the kingdom of God. Friends, right now, if you're in that situation, you're not looking for a new job. You're looking for a new and exciting expression of God's 
mandate in your life. You're looking for a new and exciting way for God to move through you, to move His presence from where it is now to the ends of the world. You're looking for a new and exciting way for God through you to fill and to subdue. In other words, to create order out of chaos, to bring harmony from discord, to take rough, untamed resources and turn them into a thing of beauty. And friends, as you seek that expression, that unique expression for now, I was reminded that there are three important questions that are going to help you figure out what that expression could look like. The first one is this, what do you love? What are those things that God has placed in you that that you just love, that just turn you on, that kind of like fill you with joy? The second question is as important as the first. It's kind of like, well, what are you good at? You know, I might love football, but I, I suck at football. So, you know, uh, if I were to think about the new expression is I'm going to go and play for one of the top football teams. Well, you know what? <laughs> That's not realistic. And so it's not just what I love, but it's what am I good at too? And as we allow God to reflect and show us and remind us those talents, those skills, those gifts, and those abilities, it's going to be able to align what we love with what we're good at. But here's the third thing, friends. And I think this is the one that I believe is probably the most pertinent for us right now in the midst of this economic crisis. And that's this question. What does the world need right now? What is it? that is a huge demand that the world is crying out for and saying, we need this. We need order in this area. We need harmony in this place. This is something we need for somebody to take and create beauty in. Rebecca Lund finished chef school at the end of last year. And she arrived back home in Johannesburg, excited at the beginning of 2020 to embark on this new career as a chef. And of course, got hit by the COVID-19 crisis like all of us did. And so Rebecca went through, I believe she went through these three questions. What do you love? I love creating healthy, low-calorie, tasty, nutritious meals. What are you good at? Well, you know what? I've been studying for three years. I'm pretty good at it. Everyone keeps telling me how awesome my meals taste. I know I can do this. What does the world need? You know, in the middle of COVID-19, when all the restaurants were closed, and, uh, you know, it took you two weeks to wait for a Woolies delivery, Rebecca realized that what the world needs is home-delivered meals. That are all those other good things, nutritious, value for money, etc. And so she started a business called Bex the Chef. And we as the Wrigley family are willing recipients of the blessing from Rebecca Lund's Bex the Chef. You see, friends, by addressing those three questions, Rebecca didn't just simply say, oh God, what now? I've studied for three years to be a chef and there are no restaurants that are employing chefs right now because they've all been shut down. What she said is, what I love, I'm good at. And Lord, thank you. I can see there's a huge demand. There's something the world needs right now that I can fill. 
And friends, as a result, Bex was not only able, able to um, uh, fund herself and get her own business going, but she was able to create economic employment for many others too. In April this year, Pastor Carol Gosman gave a prophetic word that the church in Southern Africa is going to experience during COVID-19 and during this lockdown period. It's a phenomenal word. It's something that resonates in our hearts. And as the church leadership, we believe that it's a now word for us. And I want to encourage you, go and read that prophetic word. You can find it on Carol Gosman's WordPress website. But I want to extract just one part of that word and reflect on it as we wrap up this morning. She says this, or rather God says this through her. God has been purifying the nation for many years. And he's turning economic hardship into an economic miracle. Friends, many of us are finding, finding ourselves now in this place of economic hardship. But God's promise to us as the church is that through us he will bring about that economic miracle. God is in the process of reassigning people right now. Not changing their job description. That mandate remains the same to take his presence to the ends of the world. But changing the specific assignment. Changing the specific expression of what that's going to look like. Friend, if you're in that position, or even if you're feeling just like, I need more in my life, I want to encourage you to take those three questions, specifically the last one, and say to yourself, God, what does the world need right now? And the reason I believe that's going to be key is because there's a principle in God's word that as we think of others, God meets our own needs. As we become outward looking, God fills us internally as well. And friends, as we do that, I believe God is going to release creativity and anointing within you, within us, within the body of Christ that we have never seen before. So friends, in summary, who we are is inextricably linked to what we do. It's absurd to think that we can answer those two differently. We were created to reign with God. We are, he were created to partner with Him. He has given us a cultural mandate established in Genesis 1 verse 27 to 28, and which was then reinforced and reinstated by Jesus Christ. To reign with him. Reigning is spelt W-O-R-K. Work. That's what it means to reign. That's what it means to rule. It means to work. It means to partner with God. It's who he is. And therefore it's who we are. And it's his method for taking his presence. From where he is. To the ends of the world. Friends as we fill the earth with his presence. We extend his kingdom culture. We create a civilization that lives and embraces this theology of work, this cultural mandate. And we create beauty by transforming the raw, untamed resources of the earth. And we create things of beauty and things of value. We demonstrate His glory by what we do and by how we do it. And God is going to use us to turn economic hardship into an economic miracle. Friends, as we identify what it is we love, as we reflect on what it is that we're good at, 
as we ask ourselves this question prayerfully, Lord, what does the world need? I believe we're going to see a breakthrough in the expressions in our lives that are truly going to transform the world in which we live as we take his presence and extend it to the end of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that when you preach a gospel, it's the full gospel. It's not something that focuses only on one aspect like salvation or redemption, but it looks at the entire gospel of the kingdom and it reinstates the entire mandate. And so, Father, as we embrace discipleship, according to your great commission, Father, we pray that you would help us to be discipled and to disciple others with this full gospel of the kingdom in mind. Father, where there are those that are feeling like they are losing hope, we speak hope. Father, where there are those that are feeling like they have lost significance, we remind them of your true significance and your mandate to partner with us to the ends of the world. And so, Father, right now, we thank you for your provision. We speak it into existence right now. And I say, Lord Jesus, stir our hearts, break our hearts, bring heaven to earth so that we can see your kingdom established and your presence fill it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you, Dorian, for that encouragement, challenging us to have faith in the marketplace. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. As we go into the week to come, I want to challenge you to put your trust in God, to put your trust in the fact that He has His hand over you and your life. His plans are beyond our comprehension. His ways are beyond our understanding. But He is with you, and He is on your side. Trust in that this week. Trust in the fact that God is with you. If you are in need of anything or have any prayer requests, please contact the number below and someone will be in contact with you. Thank you so much for joining us for services online today. Stay safe, stay strong, and see you next week.